remain standing and pray with me. Holy Spirit, come now, Lord, and pour out your blessing and favor on the teaching and preaching and listening to of your word. Lord, I pray that you would grant me the, the message for your people here gathered at Christ Church this handful. And Lord, for many of us separated and spread, not just around our city and county, but throughout the world who are gathering around now to hear the word of God taught. Please send your spirit upon our hearts, make them tender and ready to receive your truth and grant me utterance as the preacher of your word. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> well, um, last August, and by the way, this is gonna have a hiking reference in it, so you just need to know that almost every sermon has either hiking, gardening, or a dog reference in it, so I, I'm, that's just the way I roll. Uh, I'm, I'm not a man of a lot of variety, but uh, I do a few things that I really enjoy and wanna share them with you. But last August, as I was hiking on the Appalachian Trail through the Shenandoahs, I had a, pro I remember it clearly, I remember where I was, I had a profound sense, a profound sense of God's favor being directed towards Christ Church, an outpouring of God's favor towards Christ Church. And I felt like the Lord was saying that in the coming year, we were being led to rest in and enjoy God's favor, to rest in and enjoy God's favor. And that really is the theme for 2020. But then this year happened, <laughs> you know. Uh, for many of us, uh, this year started out as anything but God's apparent favor. And throughout our Christchurch family, we have suffered death of loved ones and job loss, life-threatening illnesses, fractured families, and then on top of everything else, a worldwide pandemic that has caused sickness and death around the globe. And above and beyond the health effects, the pandemic has closed churches, it's closed businesses, it's eliminated graduations and senior trips, it shortened the school year. Some, some children may see this as a sign of God's favor. Um, and it's even threatened our food supply, our food supply chain. For many of us, this not, has not been an Annus Mirabilis, a wonderful year. It's been an Annus Horribilis, a horrible year. So let me ask you this morning, you who are watching at home and those of us here in this sanctuary, how are you doing? How is your heart today? You know, I spoke yesterday, I spoke to several of our leaders who indicated that they have a, a profound sense, in the midst of all of this, they have a profound sense of peace and blessing at this time, even over against everything that is happening around us in the world. Uh, they are resting in and enjoying God's favor, resting in and enjoying God's favor. And I just think that's awesome. But maybe you've been more like me. <laughs> Has your heart been troubled, is what I want to ask you this morning. Has your heart been troubled? Have you been anxious throughout these four, uh, four or five months now that we're into 2020? You know, we know there's been a steep increase in anxiety and depression and substance abuse during the current shutdown. I read a little bit of an article in a major newspaper that said nearly half of Americans, this is just from this past week, Nearly half of Americans report the corona crisis is harming their mental health, according to a Kaiser Family Foundation poll. A federal emergency hotline for people in emotional distress, listen, 
registered a more than 1,000% increase in April compared with the same time last year. There are many, many troubled hearts. So addressing this issue of a troubled heart is exactly where the scripture from John chapter 14 begins this morning. And so I want us to look at that and I want to show you how this passage can directly impact what you and I are experiencing and going through this day. I hope that you will listen closely because I really do believe this applies to many of our situations this morning. Now, here it is. It begins with Jesus uh, telling his disciples. It begins with Jesus in uh, John 14, verse 1, telling his disciples, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Now, in order to see just how relevant this is to where many of us are today, we have to remember the context of this passage. Why is Jesus saying this? Well, this is a part of what was called, what is called the Last Supper Discourse in John. And it actually begins back in John 13, and it goes all the way to John 17. Remember, John 13 is where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. And so Jesus, why is he telling those disciples in John 14 to not let their hearts be troubled? Well, because their hearts are troubled because of what he's already said in John 13. Like in John 13, 21, Jesus said, I'm going away now, and you can't come with me. I'm leaving, and you can't come. Or excuse me, that's uh, John 30, 13, 36. I'm leaving, and you can't come with me. So that's a, uh, that is sudden separation, anxiety produced by separation from the one that they have loved and followed for now three years. Jesus also said in John 13, verse 21, for, uh, 13, 21, that one of their own, one of his closest friends, one of the men gathered around that last supper table with him was going to betray him. I think there was probably some troubled hearts because of that. And then, of course, St. Peter in John chapter 13, verse 38, Peter says, I don't care what these other guys are doing. I'm never going to disappoint you, Jesus. I would never run away from you. I don't care what, what that crowd over there is going to do. I'm going to stick with you. Jesus tells Peter in John 13, verse 38, you are going to deny me three times before the rooster crows this morning. So Peter's heart is troubled. There is ample, ample reason, plenty of reasons to have truly troubled hearts for these disciples. Loss, betrayal, disappointment, uh, failure of discipleship. Lots of reasons to have troubled hearts in this passage. And most of us can look at that and say, wow, those are serious things. And in, in that context, it's not like Jesus is saying, hey, don't let your hearts be troubled, I don't know, because uh, your Netflix uh, is not running at full speed or whatever. No, this is serious stuff. I can't watch Tiger King. I've never seen that, by the way, <laughs> but <laughs> I understand it's a thing right now on Netflix. No, this is genuine, deep, anxiety-inducing events and statements from Jesus. And in the face of this kind of sadness and disappointment and anxiety, Jesus offers the remedy for troubled hearts. He says this, let not your hearts be troubled. Okay, here comes the remedy. 
believe in God, believe also in me. Now, I just have to stop at this point and, and, and point out something here um, that before we even get to the remedy, because what is about to happen to Jesus? Jesus knows what's about to happen to him. He is about to be crucified. He's about to be beaten with a cat of nine tails and crowned with thorns and mocked and spit upon and struck and then crucified. And yet, where is his concern in this moment in John chapter 14? It's with his followers. It's with his friends. You know, if I knew I was about to be tortured and executed, my first concern, as much as I love y'all, would not be how, how you felt about it. It would not be about what you were going through. It would be, I would be a lot more concerned about what, how this is going to impact me. But that's exactly where Jesus goes. Throughout this Last Supper discourse, one truth shines through, and that is deep, Jesus' deep love and concern for his disciples. And you know what? The good news is that that has not changed in the most intensely um, uh, uh, stressful moment of his life. He is thinking about his disciples. How much more as he stands as our, as our great high priest in heaven at the Father's right hand making intercession for us is that love and concern expressed in every moment of our day. So what is the remedy that Jesus offers? Believe in God, believe in me. This, this call, now that can sound a little trite, but this call to believe in Jesus, to trust Jesus, believe in God, and believe also in me, this call to believe and to trust is not a simplistic answer. This is not a denial of reason and critical thinking. Jesus didn't say, hey, Believe in God, believe in me, and stop reasoning about things. No, here's what it's about. Rather, this is a call, please listen. This is a call to stop focusing on what, stop directing your entire attention to what you are most afraid of, worried about, and anxious over, and return your focus to Jesus. In other words, in my own life, that's where most of my troubled heart comes from, is when my eyes are off of Jesus and are focusing on the problems. Jesus says, don't, fo don't focus so much on that. Believe, and, and in this kind of biblical context, believe means personal trust, trust in me. Don't let your hearts be troubled, and here's why. Because what you are, I love this. Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled, because what you are experiencing right now is not all there is. Please listen to that. What you are experiencing, no matter what you're going through at home or here this morning, what you are experiencing right now is not all there is. Jesus says in verse 2, John 14, verse 2, In my Father's house are many rooms. I love the, that um, the, the Greek word here is, uh, I think, meneo, and it's the same, um, uh, it's the same, root as the root for abide, when he says abide in me. And it's a reference to that abiding in Christ, abiding in him. In my, in my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. Now listen, please. Many of us are troubled this morning 
because our imaginations, our entire framework for dealing with reality is based on the assumption that this life is all there is. Now, if somewhere on the back side of our brains, we might be believing, oh yeah, there's heaven or something like that. But the way we live our moment-by-moment existence, where we have the weight, you know, where, 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 what foot are you standing on is the, the foot that is standing on the conviction that this world is all there really is. So people, um, so many people are deeply afraid, so many people are deeply anxious about this pandemic precisely because they are founded on the assumption that all they have, listen, is this life and in this life. Profoundly disturbed, anxious, worried, fearful, because there is the assumption, it's not even articulated, it's just the, it's the factory settings of how we, how we think, is that this life is all there is. And they think that death is the worst thing that can happen to them. And my friends that I, uh, my friends and relations and, and uh, neighbors who are the most profoundly worried about this are the ones who think that death is the worst thing that can happen to them. That the last thing that will happen to them in this world is the worst thing that could happen to them. You see, there's this, there's a constant drip. There's a steady flow of secularism, of a practical atheism, of a worldview that doesn't include the reality of things that are transcendent beyond this universe, beyond all that we, beyond all that we can merely subject to our senses. There's a practical atheism, and it pours out from the academy and from the media on a daily basis. And you get enough of that, and you start to believe it. And many of our relations and friends and neighbors have drunk the poison of materialistic, naturalistic, godless secularism to its dregs, and the bitter aftertaste is despair and fear, because that worldview says this is all there is. Christians also are not exempt, because we are troubled, particularly in the West. Christians are troubled in this time in the West, because we have confused following Jesus with comfort and security in this life. So Christian, please listen. Do not do that. We, so many of us have thought of Jesus as a lifestyle enhancement. That, that, this, that Jesus is here to, you know, li- help me live my best, live your best life now. Living your best life now. Christians living in prosperous, democratic societies with good health care and a chance of a long life tend to think that Jesus is a way of making this life even better. But did you know that at almost in no time in all of history, and even today still in South America or Africa or Southeast Asia, in other words, listen, where most Christians really live, did you know that most Christians don't live in the United States? Did you, know, did you realize that actual practicing, believing Christians, that, that there are prob- very soon, if not today, within the next 20 to 30 years, there will be more 
active, practicing, believing Christians in China than there will be in the United States of America. Most Christians don't live in the West anymore. Most, there, are more peop, there are more faithful, believing Anglicans. I'm not even, that's the only brand I'm going to talk about right this second. In Nige, meeting in church in Nigeria today, or maybe locked down somewhere else, but typically gathering for church in Nigeria than in all, all the Anglicans in North America. That's Canada, United States, Great Britain, um, uh, Ireland, uh, uh, New Zealand, and Australia combined more just in the one country of Africa. And so in all of Christian history and throughout all of the globe today, most Christians have never had such a this-world attitude as we have right now in our society in the United States. A this-world-focused attitude. That is not the way most Christians have ever thought and not the way most Christians think today. In fact, in the early church, there was an almost an obsession with thinking about heaven. And that focus is there because it is deeply rooted in the biblical faith. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. If, uh, he says, where I am going to prepare a place for you. You know, in his early 20s, Jonathan Edwards, great Puritan preacher in the United States, pastor in the United States, composed a set of life resolutions. People were doing this all over in the 1700s. Everybody, I think every young man put together, and probably many young women too, a set of life resolutions. And one of Edwards' resolutions read, resolved to endeavor, listen to this, listen to his focus, to endeavor to obtain for myself as much happiness in the other world, as much happiness in the other world as I possibly can. And we reverse that in the way we think about things. Folks, I, as your pastor, I need to tell you, I, am, I apologize this morning for not talking enough about heaven. I apologize for not keeping this center, centered in the way we think. Jesus tells these disciples <clears throat> the reason that they should not be fearful and anxious with all that's just been told to them and all that's about to transpire in the next 24 hours, not to be fearful and anxious because this is not all there is. The hope, listen, the hope of heaven enables us not to have troubled hearts on earth. The, ho the hope of heaven. And when you lose that, you will by necessity have troubled hearts. And you know, for Christians, heaven is wherever Jesus is. Jesus said that where I am, you may be also. What's heaven for us? Well, I might not know a lot about it, but I know one thing, I'll be with Jesus. We are looking forward to a new creation, a new heavens and a new earth. We are looking forward to new resurrection bodies. And most of all, we are looking forward to being with the Lord, being with Jesus. That was St. Paul's focus in Philippians. Philippians chapter 1. He's writing one of his favorite churches. Paul's got some problem churches out there. Looks like Galatia was a problem church. Looks like Corinth was the bad boy of the group for sure. But the Philippians, huh, they were a sigh of relief for Paul. 
And this is what he writes to them in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21 through 23. For to me to live is Christ. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. Listen to what Paul's desire is. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Is that your desire? If that's your heart's desire, if, that, if you had to choose, like Paul said, if I've got to choose between two, I want to leave here and be with Jesus. Let me tell you, your heart's not going to be nearly as troubled as it will be than if you're living for your best life now. Because if you are placing all of your resources and hopes in this world, if your treasure is in this world, you will by necessity have a troubled heart. But if you remember that the best is yet to come, you will be in the company of saints and martyrs who gladly suffered the loss of their possessions, their freedom, and even their lives because they knew that the best was yet to come. Now, I'm going to, uh, you know, in preaching, we have some stories that probably most people have heard by now. These are chestnuts, a preaching chestnut. I'm going to crack open a chestnut for you. I love this story. It's an old one. But uh, there was a woman who had been informed that she had about three months to live. And as she began to get her affairs in order, she called her pastor and asked him to come by and wanted to talk about her final arrangements. And so the pastor comes by and she says, these are the songs I would love to have sung at my funeral. The pastor's writing this down in his little notebook. She said, and you know what, let's make sure we read these scriptures. Please read the 23rd Psalm, and please read it in the King James Version. Don't get up there with one of those new versions. I want it in the King James Version. And then she said, and you know what, please tell my family, I'm sure she told them too, this is the outfit I want to be buried in. And the preacher's getting ready to leave. He's getting this ready to stand up and depart. And she says, oh, and one more thing, Pastor. She says, I want to be buried with a fork in my right hand. And so he has to sit back down and hear why this is. He said, what are you talking about? She said, well, you know, after all of my life in church, all the many years of church socials, going to covered dish suppers, that's potlucks for you people from somewhere other than North Carolina, going to potlucks and covered dish suppers, as they're clearing away the main course dishes, someone always came around and said this, save your fork, hold on to your fork. Because, and when they said that, I knew that something wonderful was on its way, that I was going to get some velvety chocolate cake or deep dish apple pie or even one of those Eagle brand cheesecakes. You know what I'm talking about? It's not bad, it's good. So I want you to be able to tell people when they look in my coffin and they see that fork in my hand, when they see that and they say, what's up with the fork? I want you to tell them on my behalf, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. There's something better just around the corner. Now don't let your heart be troubled, Jesus said, because he has 
prepared the way for us to be with him. He says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am you may be also. He said, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. Now, somehow, I, I always just kind of thought of this as like the ascension. You know, Jesus ascending to the Father's right hand. You know, maybe he was going to, you know, after the ascension, he was going to go um, tidy up heaven a little bit, maybe put in a new bathroom or two. I don't know how he's going to prepare a place for us. But, but that's not the context of what's going on in this passage. What's about to happen? Where is he going? He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Where is he going? He's going to a cross and then to a grave because at the cross he will defeat, he will defeat our sin, preparing us to be received holy and spotless into the Father's presence. He prepares a place for us by making us ready to be there through the cross. And then he goes to the grave and he conquers death so that now even the grave itself will not be a barrier between us and the Father. And one day, one day, He is going to bring us with Him into the new Jerusalem, that new creation at the end of the age, and He is going to cry out, Dad, Father, Abba, I'm home, and I brought some friends with me. He's prepared a place for us. If I go, I will come again and take you to be there so that you can be with me always. He's prepared a place for us, but he's also prepared the way for us to get there. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You know, you don't have to use Google Maps, Jesus says. You don't have to use Siri. He said, you already know the way. I am the way. You know, the Greek word there translated way means road. He, Jesus, is the road we travel to be with him. He is our way of life. You know, Christianity is not a code of conduct. It is a walk with a person. I have seen this... um, over and over in the last few weeks, uh, the wonderful thing, one of the wonderful things about this pandemic and the shutdown is that there are people walking all the time in my neighborhood. I see families out. Uh, dogs are getting more walking than they ever got before. But most of all, I love seeing those uh, moms and dads and strollers. I had no idea. Where were they hiding those babies in, in my neighborhood? They were hidden. And they're out everywhere. But you know what? That's, that's the way, that is, that walk with that person, being in relationship on a walk, that is the picture of the Christian life. Jesus is the way. So in reality, Christian, the Christian way is to stay in step with Jesus. Jesus says, I am the truth. You know, for us, truth is not an abstract concept. Truth is a person. So to live a life of authenticity that is not burdened with the heavy or troubled heart, to live that life is to be in relationship with the one who is the truth. And the truth is this. This is not all there is. There's something better coming down the road. And he is the life. Jesus is the life. Not just after death, but he is the life here and now. And that, brothers and sisters, is how we can rest in and enjoy God's favor in a time of pestilence. Because Jesus 
is the life. And that life that has begun here is only a foretaste of the good things that God has laid up for us in the new creation. This, the, the life that is truly life that we've been given in Christ right now, that we can enjoy right now. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. That life is just a foretaste of how much it's going to be wonderful when we get to the new creation. Uh, Randy Alcorn has written, he's actually written now, it looks like three or four books about heaven. It's the same book written over and over in different ways, I think, and for different audiences. I really love Randy Alcorn as a pastor, as a writer, and as a person. Uh, I know his story a little bit, and I recommend your, you to read his books, but he's written a book about heaven. And I love how he writes wonderfully about that new creation. Randy writes, in order to get a picture of heaven which will one day be centered on the new earth, you don't have to look up at the clouds. You simply need to look around you and imagine what all this world would be like without sin and death and suffering and corruption. So look out a window. Take a walk. But imagine our world, all of it, in its original condition. The happy dog with the wagging tail, not the snarling beast, beaten and starved, the flowers not wilted, the grass not dying, the blue sky without pollution, people smiling and joyful, not angry, depressed, and empty. If you're not in a particularly beautiful place, in other words, you don't live in Winston-Salem, close your eyes and envision the most beautiful place you've ever been, complete with palm trees, raging rivers, jagged mountains, waterfalls, or snowdrifts. Think of your friends. Think of friends or family members who loved Jesus and are now with him. Picture them with you walking together in this place, all of you having powerful bodies stronger than those of Olympic decathletes. You are laughing, playing, talking, and reminiscing. You reach up to a tree to pick an apple or orange. You take a bite. It's so sweet that it's startling. You've never tasted anything so good. And now you see someone coming towards you. It's Jesus with a big smile on his face. You fall to your knees in worship. He pulls you up and embraces you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in Jesus. The best is yet to come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please stand.